Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We are your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And uh, this is take two on our intro. Must you drag me? Yes. That's fair. It's going to go on to specials specials at some point. Yeah. Bonus content, guys. There's a a tab for it on the website. Go visit now. Definitely. You can uh, hear us chiding my cat. (laughs) All right. So, Corinne, what coffee did you get today? We went to, uh, well, it's not really new to us because we've both been there before, but new for this recording. Uh, We went to the Old Louisville Coffee Co-op. Yeah, employee-owned. The coffee is great. The drink menu was really inventive. It's really great. It's got, the space has such good vibes, too. Yeah. One day, one day. We will have actual fall weather and I'll be able to go sit on their little patio. Oh, their patio is perfect. Not 95 degrees out. That sounds fake. We'll never get there. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I got a drink that they refer to as the Savannah. And it is an almond and a hazelnut chai with oat milk. And it's really, really good. I am very glad that I got it exactly as recommended. It sounded really good. And what about you, Amanda? I got a drink that I have been meaning to get from them since they first opened, and it's called The Secret Agent. Mm -hmm. It is two shots of espresso floated on top of an Italian lavender soda. That sounds really good. I'd I'd almost want to try it with, like, a splash of cream. I could see that. Because, like, I, I like cream in my Italian sodas, first off, so. Fair. I don't know. I'm digging it. The espresso is just bitter enough to really contrast the sweetness of the soda. Uh, So it's not an overly sweet drink because I I can't stand that. Um, I I like sweet drinks. I have a problem. Unless it's wine and then it has to be dry as the Sahara. Uh, Duh. (laughs) But again, I don't like sweet drinks in general. With the exception of some margaritas. But that is not anything to do with this episode what um but this is delicious and we both got ice drinks because again we're never gonna have real fall weather no it's kentucky and uh one one of the weather guys on facebook posted that meme about seasons in kentucky and this past week he was like this is this is false fall yep (laughs) we're going into summer part three (laughs) and i was like yeah that sounds about right oh it's so true um Anyway, let's go to our tarot draw, which I am going to break my mother's heart. Uh-huh. Um, I was going to ask you about that. You were texting me. <laughs> so uh, my mom is very Catholic and not big into horror anything in general. I mean, fair and valid. And so I mentioned she hasn't listened to a single episode of the podcast. And I mentioned that we were doing pretty well and people seem to like us. 
And we might have an opportunity to do an in-person event in October here in Louisville doing tarot readings. And I immediately got, well, Amanda, you know the devil's in those cards. And I was like, well, yes, that's how tarot decks work. (laughs) The devil is there. And she's like, no, seriously, like, those are not good things. There's evil lurking in those decks. And I was like, oh, no, mom, it's just spicy psychology. It's not actually evil um but she made me promise to before every card pull Mm -hmm. say the our father whoops (laughs) see i had oops an almost identical conversation with my mother where i mentioned you know we were going to have this opportunity for a live event pulling tarot cards and my mom goes corinne what the hell do you know about tarot And my mother has listened to episodes, but apparently didn't notice the tarot draws at the start of each episode. Great. And I was like, yeah, I really like tarot as kind of a way of like thinking through my problems, spotting patterns. It's it's a nice little bit of psychological inquiry. She's like, oh, that's really cool. And I was like, yeah, I own several tarot decks and oracle decks. And she's like, I had no idea. That's really neat. And I was like, oh, thank God, because that conversation could have gone much more similar to the conversation (laughs) you had with your mother. Yeah, so I uh, didn't have the guts to admit that I'm the one that does all of our tarot polls for Tarot Tuesday on our Instagram and own several decks. Yep. And that her grandson has uh, helped me shuffle tarot cards before. Whoopsie. Any hoozles. Uh, I'm drawing from the Wild Unknown Tarot deck because it is one of my favorites and it's also one of the three decks I currently have sitting on this table. So easily accessible. Uh, And today we have the Six of Pentacles, which is prosperity, growth, and generosity, which I really like because I feel like we are in a season of growth for the podcast. Definitely. Um, Has absolutely fuck all to do with what I'm going to be talking about today. Yeah. Maybe I could probably spin this. Not material growth, or, but can't. <laughs> I cannot. But I really like it because it kind of looks like rose hips. Oh, it does. So that's cool. I like rose hip tea. I don't like roses that much, actually. But rose hip tea is pretty legit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is our uh, tarot draw for the day. So uh, hey, Amanda, what are we talking about today? So, as we discussed last week, uh, last or last week, last episode, <laughs> it's been more than, more than a week, babe. Which was what a month ago recording for us. Don't. Mm. Um, we're doing kind of a a two parter series. Last episode was werewolves. This episode, we are talking about therianthropes in general. I like this topic. This was a learning experience for me. Me too. Uh, and I do go a little bit further South America. Um, You're totally fine. I actually mostly hung out in the continent of Africa. Perfect. Just a quick little background on Therianthropes. Per the Wikipedia article on Therianthropes, a Therianthrope is, quote, the mythological ability of human beings to metamorphose into other animals by means of shape-shifting. Is it actually pronounced metamorphose? I don't know. I assumed you were correct in that I had, I don't, that's one of those words that's just in my head. 
Corinne, I make it up as I go about it everything. It really great. I just <laughs> want you to know this because I was like, oh, is that how that word said? I had no clue. I'm pretending there are several words in this that I'm like, yep, I'm gonna have the confidence of a mediocre white man and uh, just go for it. Excellent. All right. Sorry. Carry on. You're good. Uh, We have confirmation that the term started being used in folklore stories throughout Europe in the early 1900s. Okay. And some scholars believe the word came into use as early as the 17th century in werewolf trials in France. Thank you, France, for giving us new vocabulary. Indeed. I, you know, English says that a lot to a lot of languages. Listen, you know I have a rant. (laughs) You know that I have a rant. This is not the time or place, but one day. Something to look forward to, folks. Yep. Uh, So related to therianthropy, I don't know how to pronounce that. I say therianthropy, so. Cool. We have the concept of theriocephaly. Oh, I was reading about this too. Which is the folkloric depiction of animal-headed humanoids. So these include... Like Hermanubis. I was just about to say that. <laughs> uh, these include the animal-headed forms of deities across culture. And in my notes, I have CR buddy Hermanubis from the Coyote and Jackal episode. Oh, buddy. Uh, and can be found as early as cave paintings from roughly 30,000 years ago. Uh, I'm going to be talking about this too a little bit. Awesome. Specifically, a bison-headed humanoid uh, that has been termed the sorcerer by scholars. And that just makes me really happy. I didn't go any further into that. So if you're going to be covering it. Just a little bit because I I ran into some... You'll see. You'll see when I get there. Cool. Um, I just... When I saw that it was called the sorcerer, I had to. Le sorcier. Because it was discovered Um, in France. So I'm not going to be discussing shapeshifters in North American folklore. Um, I I know there are people listening who are going to be asking, well, what about X? Um, there are facets of Native American folklore that have been very appropriated um, throughout the paranormal and supernatural communities mm. that I'd really like to not pile on. Yeah. Um, I did wonder how you were going to do this because I know some... Some of the very classic examples are from closed cultures. Yes. And I wanted to respect that, respect that, stand back from it. That's not my place to talk about. Yeah. Um, I don't care how popular supposed videos of them on TikTok are. Yeah. But stepping off that soapbox, um, I will admit, as Corinne brought up, that that left me in a little bit of a pickle Mm -hmm. (laughs) about what to discuss this episode. So instead, I started reading up on the theories surrounding shapeshifters and folklore in general. Okay. And why that belief seems to be so common across cultures. Yeah, that was something I noticed when I was doing my research. Like, there are so many common stories on every continent. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So throughout folklore worldwide, shapeshifting tends to be associated with religious leaders Um, often in colloquial discussions uh, referred to as shamans. Mm. But there is some disagreement in academic circles about what sort of religious structure includes someone who would be called a shaman. Okay. So, again, going a little bit wide with this research. Oh, no. Bear with me. Because 
us being self-indulgent and going on weird tangents in our research. What? Oh, just wait. Uh, Guys, we're recording three episodes today. And uh, in one of the episodes, I go incredibly self-indulgent. So (laughs) this is nothing. Uh, But broadly speaking, a shaman in this context is a religious leader believed to use magic for the purpose of aiding the community. Okay. And the shape-shifting that we're referring to here isn't necessarily fully transforming into an animal. It's more taking on the aspects of the animal being channeled in order to use those abilities that humans either don't have or don't have in abundance. Okay. Uh, to aid yeah, the okay. community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, bear or jaguar strength, fox cleverness, owl wisdom, even though owls are really the himbos of the They're so community. stupid. They're so dumb. I love them. Their eyes make you think otherwise, but they are so dumb. Especially if they're screech owls, because they're like two ounces full of hatred. I love them. I love them so much. Listen, listen. One of those little fuckers tried to kill me once, and I've never quite forgiven them. (laughs) I volunteered at the zoo. I was about to say, reminder for anyone who has either forgotten or this is your first episode. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This is is an episode to start on. Uh, Yes, no, I volunteered at the Louisville Zoo for several years when I was a high schooler, which gave me opportunities to interact with animals I wouldn't have ordinarily done so. Uh, I do not advocate interacting with wild animals. That is a great way to get injured or to injure another living being. That's my soapbox. We're good. Okay. Um, So back to shamans. Yes, sorry. One thing that is strikingly common with how shamans achieve this sort of shape-shifting worldwide is the need to enter into some sort of altered state of consciousness. Oh, okay. In some cultures, you have a sort of trance dance where members of the community dance with the shaman figure in movements designed to alter the mental state. Okay. So that's where you've got the flickering fire. You've got various body movements and the shadows there. Yeah. And that sort of headiness helping the shaman enter into an altered state. Okay. But today I'm primarily going to focus on what is subjectively the easiest way to get into an altered state. Oh. Psychedelics. <gasps> Are we going to talk about flyagric? You're going to see. Yay! So specifically for the Americas, we've got ayahuasca and we've got mescaline. Yay! Uh, it's been noticed. Noticed? We speak Good English Lord, so great. I have my notes written in front of me. I am <laughs> reading from a script. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, it has been noted in several modern first-hand accounts of ayahuasca users that, depending on your dose, you do see yourself shifting into an animal shape while under the influence. Oh, wild. To make this commonality even more oddly specific, by and large, if you take a dose that has you see yourself shifting into an animal, you are shifting into a large feline. Fascinating. Yeah. So this lends some credence to the theory that Incan shamans specifically regularly used plant medicine, or more colloquially, drugs, Mm -hmm. in religious rituals. Of course. Okay. Um, For example, the ruins of Chavin de Huantar, an ancient ceremonial site in Peru, show stone carvings of someone mid-transformation between human and jaguar. Oh. One carving in particular shows this figure clutching a San Pedro cactus. (laughs) And what does a San Pedro cactus have in decent qualities? Psychedelics? Mescaline, a compound with psychedelic properties comparable to LSD and psilocybin. 
I am so fascinated and I really wish that I had learned more South American art when I was taking art history classes because I right? need to look this up immediately. Oh, it's it's great. Go down that Google rabbit hole because I had a blast just looking and especially for art from ceremonial sites, just go through and try to find the cacti. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and, you know, moving away a little bit uh-huh. from the drugs, yeah. but only a little bit. I also found some fun comparisons between shamanism and trickster figures. Okay. So both shamans and tricksters are often seen as having the ability to take new forms. Okay. Both are seen as being able to cross the boundaries between worlds. Okay. And as we've discussed in our Fox and Coyote episodes in North American indigenous folklore, tricksters and shamans are both seen as figures who bring necessary knowledge to the community. Oh, I just got chills. Same. Uh And then, again, I know this research is a little bit all over the place. Kind of wrote myself into a pickle with this episode topic, but I loved where the research took me. There's also a comparison that can be made between trickster figures, shamans, and court jesters. Oh. There is a hypothesis that states that the traditional court jester could be considered a contemporary shaman figure. And that the jester headwear is analogous to early human depictions of therianthropic transformations, i.e. that the headwear often looks like horns or rabbit ears sprouting from the jester's head. Interesting. Because when you think about it, jesters were often the only people in the court who could speak truth to power, speak truth to power, bringing necessary knowledge to the community. Oh, Can you send me some of this research? Because I need to read this (laughs) immediately. I say this like you don't send me your source links when I update the website. So this is just one podcast episode. This isn't an essay or a dissertation on shamanism through the ages. So I'm going to cut things off here uh, so that we can talk to Corinne, who actually understood the assignment. (laughs) It's not so much that I understood the assignment as I had the distinct advantage going in. Yes. Um, But again, I just, I love that. I want to dive deeper into the idea of court jesters as shamans. Mm. I want to explore that so thoroughly. It makes my brain hurt. I, yeah, things to add to the content cue. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So I also got to do a lot of, of fun digging around and I do go off on some very interesting tangents. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, you might remember in last week's episode, I, I did the same thing last week. It's not last week. It's whenever the, that episode went out, we were discussing werewolves. And when we t- talked about clinical lycanthropy, how that doesn't just refer to or even most frequently refer to people who, they, who believe that they have transformed into or are currently transformed into wolves or dogs. Mm-hmm. It's just not at all the most common outcome. And so it goes to follow that other forms of were-creatures are often the focus of mythology and folklore. And if we're working under that definition that a therianthrope is a being that transforms between a human or a humanoid and bestial shape, you could lump selkies into that mix. But since, Amanda, you already humored me into doing an entire episode on selkies. Which I loved. And B, that would be cheating. Uh-huh. I decided to dig in a little more. 
Oh, yeah. So as you mentioned, belief in therianthropy seems to go back to the Neolithic area. And there are arguments that the carving from Les Trois Frères Cave in France depicts a therianthropic figure. Um, that would be the piece called The Sorcerer. Which I just love. I just love that we looked, uh, again, tying it back into shamanism. Mm-hmm. Oh, just wait. Oh, yay. Okay. So um, its interpretation is actually open to a huge amount of debate. Because it seems that the gentleman who made the most famous copy of that painting may have embellished more than a little bit. And the whole saga is very fascinating. Um, His added bits are part of why the sorcerer was often also used as an anthropological argument for a sort of prototypical horned god of the hunt. Interesting. Uh, This is, alas, not the episode where I'm going to dig into that. But it is added to the content queue. (laughs) Everything is content. Everything is content. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically what happened is they discovered this cave full of absolutely phenomenal art. Holy shit. And one of the gentlemen who was going down there was actually like making copies of the different pieces. Because even at the time that these discoveries were happening, they understood you can't have billions of people tramping into these caves. It's not good for the art. Right. Um, so he made a copy of what he called Le Sorcière. And in it, he took some real liberties. And there is some discussion of perhaps if he was doing this by candlelight, the flickering of the candles would also interact with the different lines and make an almost cinematic experience of the art. It's I've read a few articles about this. It's absolutely I, fascinating. I love that. If you guys want to look into it, look into cave paintings as early animation. It's phenomenal yes but there's also some discussion at the time there was some other research going out trying to tie in contemporary pagan practices with the past especially like the neolithic era so there is some discussion that he may have influenced his design based on these discussions that were going on at the time gotcha which we're all fallible humans It's, I'm not like, oh my god, I'm going to cast all these aspersions. Because, again, the work he did was phenomenal. And I really, really, really want to go to the museum. Because also in that cave were clay sculptures of bison. That have the most amazing, phenomenal sense of movement. I just, I I know you can't touch the art. But I want to touch the art. And there are examples in the museum that are recreations. And I want to touch those. But those are behind glass, too. Yes, you cannot touch the art, Corinne. I want to touch the art. No. Okay, so anyway, there is my whole spiel on Le Sorcier. And uh, I could also theoretically touch on were jaguars of the Olmec culture, which uh, if you've listened to our Big Cats episode, which I think might be my favorite episode we've ever done so far. That one was a blast. Um, yeah, go listen to that. I- I'm still not going to do that because that's cheating. So off to Google I went. Mm-hmm. And hold on to your butts, because guess what I found about wear hyenas? Wear hyenas. And other things that I because I can't focus on any one topic for long. I eh. Yeah. Stones I cannot cast this episode. <laughs> so, as the name implies, wear hyenas transform between human and hyena form. Unlike the European werewolf, not all wear hyenas start out human. Some of them are actually hyenas that can take human shape. Um, this is found 
in a lot of Africa into the Levant, uh, in Ethiopia and Eritrea, which is kind of where I'm going to be focusing on. Okay. Metal workers are also, also, bleh, are often associated with becoming wear hyenas and are referred to as Buddha. Um, and in general, someone who is Buddha is typically an artisan of some sort, uh, frequently metal workers, who are also hereditary sorcerers. Interesting. These hereditary sorcerers are capable of laying the evil eye on someone in addition to being able to turn into a hyena. Man, talking about the evil eye across cultures is another episode I want to do. For sure. And why a hyena? Well, in an article called Ethiopian Evil Eye Belief and the Magical Symbolism of Ironworking, uh, the author Niall Finneran explains the animals are being associated with being dirty, evil scavengers. Because you do not want to cross paths with Buddha. Oh, It's no bueno. Uh, and one of the ways that these wear hyenas terrorize the neighbors is to dig up the corpses of recently deceased Christian men and women to eat them. Uh, oh, did I mention? Historically, metal workers in Ethiopia are Jewish. Oh. And it's often a family trade. Everything is blood libel in yes. a hat. So basically wear hyenas is this region of the world's spin on blood libel. Oh, yeah. There was also a really interesting discussion just of the ceremony around metalworking in a lot of cultures in Africa, because it is such an important thing. You don't want it to fuck up. Right. Uh, and that's something I would definitely love to discuss in a later episode. Just the the folklore around metalcraft. Metalcraft or weaponcraft or any of that. Yeah. Um, so now that I've bopped through that bummer, uh, I do have another thing that I would like to touch on. Okay. Uh, it's a modern interpretation of therianthropes. I think it is very fair to make the case that otherkin are a form of therianthropy. Okay. Explain that to people who don't live on Tumblr. That I was getting to. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't really clear on what differentiates otherkin from groups like furries. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding... And please, internet, don't castigate me if I'm wrong. I'm basing this off the information that I was able to find. I am not trying to be a dick. I am trying to come from a place of understanding. Uh, It's a bit of a tautology. Furries are furries. Like, that's... A furry identifies as a furry. Uh, Other can feel that they are in some ontological, but non-biological sense, not human. Uh, This sense of other isn't even necessarily that they feel part animal in some way. They might feel that they are part fae, or part angelic, or even alien. So physically, they're human. It's almost described as their soul is some sort of other. Yes, the alien bits uh, unfortunately cross over a lot with the New Age Pleiadian. Oh, I well, we're gonna crazy a little bit. Okay, not, not that, but. Everything is white supremacy in a hat. So, um, I got really fascinated by this article that I found on Otherkin as a framework for a contemporary form of spirituality. Even though people who ID as Otherkin don't necessarily think of it as a religious framework. Uh, but regardless of its place as a spiritual or religious movement, the development of contemporary Otherkin culture is derives a lot of its movement from the New Age countercultural movements, especially in pagan communities in the United States in the 1960s. 
and had an opportunity to grow and expand and encompass even more ways of being once the internet acted as an intermediary for people to come together and discuss this feeling of otherness. Okay. Um, The article I was reading actually talked a lot about the early role of spiritualism in kind of the construction of otherkin identities. Because for a lot of spiritualists, the fae were, are quite real. Right. And that it is conceivable that people could copulate with the fae and you would have someone who is to all appearances human. Yeah, we have millennia of folklore telling us that this is a thing that happens. Uh, so I'm just really fascinated by this extremely contemporary example of what I would consider a form of therianthropy. They're not transforming, but they are, in some sense, other. Um, and I'm using this in a very broad sense, especially because we can make those connections all the way back to prehistory if we're taking that example of the sorcerer from the Trois Frères right. as another example. I just, the fact that it's, it's still such an important part of people's identities. I just, I, I loved it. I loved reading about this framework of thinking about yourself and the soul as other while still being human it was really fascinating. That is. And I, you know, that opens up a wonderful philosophical debate because I would almost argue that that ability to feel other whilst inhabiting your current reality is what makes you human and what what makes us human as opposed to a squirrel yeah that that contemplation of the other as as something that is worthy of respect even yes it's it's really fascinating and i wish i could have dug into it a little bit more um but i just started a new job and i have much less free time than i used to yeah. Uh, fun fact, we both just started new jobs because, you know, we have to pay the bills and yeah, neither of us are in the best headspace today. <laughs> this coffee is necessary. So necessary. Um, yeah. But yeah, that is uh, the extent of my research that I did. Because I got distracted by other things doing more research for other episodes. <laughs> I'm really good at focusing, guys. I don't know if you can tell. That works. Uh, again, this episode was a little all over the place. I think we kept a good through line for you guys. And if not, well, sorry. Still got, I don't know. This won't be half an hour by the time you edit it. But you still got some Yeah, you're getting like at least 25 solid minutes of entertainment out of this episode. Hopefully. Hopefully. I've never cut more than five minutes out of an episode. Oh, no, I was talking about the entertainment. Not <laughs> the sound aspect. Listen, I think we're funny. And that's all that matters. I think so. I think so. And I think, I, I don't know. I would never have done research on court jesters or otherkin as modern day or contemporary. Therianthropy. Without this yeah. show. So I'm, I'm here for it. happy with this. All right. All right. So I think that is everything. Uh, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. 
Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. Boyfriend